Every story has a beginning. Every family has its first home. And Whitewater, this is our first home. Uh, this is where it all started. We started at Tim and Johanna Weaver's house. And I remember being in the living room with just a few families eating pizza around an ottoman with, with dogs and animals and kids jumping over everything. And, and, and our, our family started growing. Good morning, Whitewater. Good to see you guys. All right, it is football season, and around here that should elicit a little bit more excitement, all right? The artists are clapping because they don't know. No, I'm just <laughs> I'm sorry, Tobin. <laughs> We kept growing until so we needed our second home, which was here at Fredrickson Elementary School. I remember setting up chairs thinking, is anybody going to show up? I even remember preaching once and uh, a little kid projectile vomiting right in front of me as I'm preaching and clearing the room. And the family kept growing. We realized that we needed to be a church that was in the center of what God was doing in the Piaut Valley, and so we moved uh, to PHS, Piaut High School. But I remember pushing carts on these sidewalks in the building, uh, rain or shine, freezing temperatures or warm temperatures. God did some incredible things while we were here at PHS. In fact, I met many of you guys here at PHS, and, and yet our family kept growing. Hey gang, uh, we're on Meridian. We're in the heart of downtown Puyallup, and we're at our new place. This is our new home. It's a place to belong. It's called the Station House. We moved to our fourth home as a family, uh, the station house. Um, I remember when we moved in, um, we helped remodel the men's bathroom, the hallway, the, the fireside room, uh, putting blood, sweat, and tears in this place. Being in here, and me and Pastor Mike, uh, just wondering, man, how are we gonna fill this building up? <laughs> and man, the family has grown, and now the family's ready for our fifth home. our family's moving into a new home, we couldn't be more excited. This place has double the parking, this building has double the auditorium size, and it's got a great area for our kids. And the organization, step by step, uh, has such great values that our church aligns with, our church family. Um, we're really excited to build that relationship. When Pastor George approached me about um, the possibility of renting space here, it seemed like a really great fit. And although Step by Step is not a faith-based organization, um, it is something, a part of this site here that I think will be pretty significant. Thousands and thousands of babies and moms have uh, come through Step by Step's program over the last 22 years. We work with about 1,200 
women at a time now to really give them the tools and the skills and the support that they need. So we purchased the former Van Lair at Bolt Farm, which has been in this community since 1934. We um, have a vision to turn it into a social enterprise that will encompass a 128-seat farm-to-table restaurant, a 2,000-square-foot training kitchen, a 400-person event hall that we will be hosting weddings and corporate events, um, proms, auctions, and Whitewater Church. We are super excited to have you here and uh, hope it is a mutually beneficial relationship. Um, I'm very looking very forward to um, having you here in the fall. So we're looking at a September launch um, with some flexibility. That's when uh, the building is planned to be done. And while our family's preparing to move, we're actually gonna be doing a summer series that's all about family. It's called Stranger Summer Things. It's going to be awesome. It's going to focus on how do we um, become and act and build the family of God. Uh, a family that's fun, a family that's filled with faith, that rests together and build relationships together. And so here's three ways you can be involved. We're going to have three um, summer events. We're going to have a um, 4th of July picnic you can be involved in. We're going to have uh, a, a trail walk for families. It's going to be so fun um, on July 27th. And then August 23rd, we're going to have our annual guac off where you try to compete with the best guacamole. And these summer events are going to be for building friendships and having fun. And I, I want to encourage you and I actually challenge you to commit to going to one of those events over the summer. That's how spiritual family starts to be formed. And then the other cool thing this summer is we're going to have meetups that our church can organize, you can organize. We're going to have a, a Facebook page where you can either join a meetup and it can be, you know, anything from playing Frisbee to just going to the, the, the park or whatever it might be. But you can organize one or you can join one and that's all going to be on our Facebook page. The way you can get more information about this is there's a flyer you can grab at church and then our Facebook page, uh, the Whitewater Facebook page, will have all the information you need to know about it. You're not going to want to miss this summer and all the activities because uh, one conversation can lead to a friendship and friendship can lead to spiritual family. Guys, I'm so excited about how God is going to grow and mature our church family this summer. I had more hair in some of those pictures. <laughs> Man, I am so excited about what God is doing. I'm so thankful for what he has done in our church. And I don't know how long you've been coming here. Maybe this is your first day. Maybe you've been coming since we were in that first house. But uh, this is truly a place you can belong before you believe. This is the family of God. And uh, man, I watching that video and seeing the places that God has moved us, it, it, for me, it just moves my heart because I'm so excited to see what God's going to do next. So would you just pray with me for that? I just want to pray and ask God's blessing on that. God, we just, we give our future to you. We thank you for this community, this family. Lord, help us to continue growing and loving each other. Be a place of such warmth and such care and such compassion that, that, that people can't uh, deny that there's some spiritual thing going on in this place with these people. I thank you for the fun that we get to have together and the meat we get to enjoy and 
just thank you for fathers. Lord, thank you that you are a good father. You are the ultimate model of fatherhood, that you're present, you're with us, you never leave us. You have tenacious, a reckless love for us, God. Uh, you see who we are, you understand us, and you always, always pursue us. And we thank you for these things in Jesus' name, amen. Any fathers in the house today? Grateful for you, so thankful for you. My boy woke me up uh, with his... Um, with his new, I don't know, how do you say it, salutation? He learned from his father. That's right. What does he do, uh, Stan? Yeah, that's what he greeted me with. That's his, that's his grandpa. He greeted me with a, Arr! this morning. So I would look, I, you know, I'm in my separate room. I'm going, back. My, he's going, Arr! my wife's like, oh my gosh, I just want to sleep. Um, Father's Day is here. We're so excited. Um, before jumping into the sermon, I, I just wanted to say a few things about what you guys saw. We're moving to a new place. I'm so excited about it. God is just providing that next step for us. Um, we've been in the middle of this um, campaign this last year called the Built Campaign, raising funds for uh, the, the property or the building God would have for us. And we wanted to be prepared. We didn't want to have a property or a place um, um, kind of get dropped in our lap, lap and not be ready to put a down payment on it. Um, and so we've been saving for that. And I just want you to know, like, the place that we're moving isn't something that we're buying. We're going to continue renting. Um, but I feel like our church has been faithful uh, during the built campaign. We've been preparing. And, and as we're preparing for the long term, God has, has put this intermediate step. I believe this is an intermediate step. That's most likely the, the last step before we own a building, a place that we can call home 24-7. You guys know our heart. We want to have a place that's for people all week long. Right now, we just have Sundays and Wednesdays, and, and we'll continue to have that at step-by-step, at step. but we're looking forward to being a place that's open for the community, a place of transformation in our community 24-7 every day of the week. And I just want to make sure you know that the funds that we're putting away for that, uh, that nest egg, that war chest, that down payment, um, that's all staying in the war chest. We're, we're not using anything from the built campaign for this move. All we're doing is we're using our normal budget that we have, our general budget, and the money that we give for um, this rental is going to just be used for the other uh, rental, so it's coming out of the general budget, and we're continuing to save up for a building. Does that make sense? I want to make sure that was really clear, and we're excited. And man, uh, Stranger Summer Things, don't miss out on that, you guys. We're kicking it off next week. It's going to be awesome. Starting with the sermon, how much time do I have? Oh, you know what? I want to take a moment, because I did this with the other group. Um, I'm going to do it. We're going to go old school. Say hi to somebody you don't know for a minute. Say, get up, it's Father's Day. Say hi to someone that you know. Go say hi, we're friends here. All right, fathers in the house, put your hands up. Fathers in the house. Hey, let's give them a hand. Thank you, dads, father figures. We're so grateful for you. Um, we're so grateful for you. And uh, today we're gonna just, we're gonna finish our series called I don't have time for this some of you guys smell the meat cooking and you're like George we don't have time for this I need more meat right now and I will say that we are using the full like just the full force of all the ages of meat technology um, my dad taught me about the like the age of technology that we have around meat and when you combine fire and aluminum foil and meat for at least five to 24 hours, something magical happens. Can I get an amen? amen. We will enjoy this shortly. 
I'll try to get through this. Hopefully you can hang in there with me. Um, I don't have time for this. Um, it's been our series. Last week I gave the best sermon of my life. How many of you guys were there? A few of you. If you guys watch online, liars, you couldn't. It wasn't online. They didn't. <laughs> you guys are like, oh, that was such a dirty trick. Um, you're like, oh, that's why it was the best sermon. It was. You missed out. And no one will ever know how great it was or wasn't. Um, we talked about carrying the cheese and things like that. You guys are like, well, what are you talking about? Ask your friends who were there. Uh, most amazing sermon ever. Um, today, what I want to talk uh, about is, is this. Just the, We live in a culture that, that has a tendency to say that I don't have time to understand. I don't have time to understand others. I'm busy. I've got pressure. I've got uh, deadlines and dates and I've got all kinds of stuff going on. I don't have time to just sit and understand and talk. If you just do what I told you, if, they, if my workers would just do the plan, I told them what to do. If my kids would just like, if they would just listen to me, then their life would go well. I don't have the time to understand. And what we're really saying is when we say that, I don't have the time to, to, to take to understand. We're saying, I only have time to be understood. I only have time to be understood. And, and there's an underlying um, problem with that mentality. And our culture, we buy into it. Can you guys agree that we have fast-paced culture? It's easy to buy. Like, I don't have time for this. To understand, I don't have time to hear your emotions, to hear your problems, to hear your... Uh, and, and, and people become problems rather than people to us. So one of the, the issues with this is that you end up not having time to build trust. How many of you guys know that understanding, feeling understood by somebody is, is an essential foundation for trust? If, let me put it this way, um, married couples who are here, if, if, if wife doesn't feel that husband understands me, do you feel like you can trust, like there's great trust between the two of you? He never understands me. He never listens to me. Or husbands, do you feel a tremendous amount of connection and trust? Is man, I, we've been in a season, maybe it's been a month, maybe it's been a year, maybe it's been a decade. I don't feel like she understands me, like that she gets me. She cares about what I care about. You see, if we don't take time to understand one another, we won't trust one another. We'll treat people like the robots or they're like minions needing to do our bidding or like, I've just got to jump from thing to thing to thing to thing to thing. And people just become barriers. Um, or things that we just step on. They're like stepping stones to where we want to get. And, and I want to talk to you guys about the model that Jesus lays out. And then we see in scripture that how important a life of seeking to understand. How important that is. That we have a God who knows all things. Doesn't need to seek to understand. And yet, he does. He wants to know us. He takes time for us. He wants to listen to us. We have a heavenly father who gives us a model that's unbelievable. I want to look at two sections of scripture with, with you today. The first starts in Matthew chapter 13. You can pull your Bible out. You can look up on the screen behind me if you don't have your Bible or your Bible app. And if you do, I would encourage you to get a pen out because you're going to want to mark a few spots uh, on, on your Bible. <clears throat> Picking up in, in verse 13, it of chapter 13 it's jesus says this that is why i speak to them in parables this is why i tell stories jesus says 
Because looking, they do not see, and hearing, they do not listen or understand. Why don't you, if you have a Bible, underline that. They do not listen or, what's that say? Understand. Isaiah's prophecy is fulfilled in them. Jesus is saying, like, the Old Testament, the Old Bible is so true when it says this. You will listen and listen, but never understand. You will look and look, but never perceive. Are there any wives in the place that are like, I felt that way before? They will look and look, but never perceive. You know, never fully understand. You'll listen and listen, but you don't get it. Husbands, don't answer that question. For this, people, for this people's heart, now look at verse 15. For this people's heart has grown callous. Their ears are hard of hearing. They've shut their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts. And if they do that, they would turn back and I would heal them. See, God wants us to have spiritual health, to have vitality, to, to be healed in our lives. And if you look at this passage, Jesus is he's primarily talking about a spiritual condition. One of the biggest issues in the world is that spiritually we're blind, we don't see. Spiritually we're deaf, we don't hear. We don't hear what God wants us to hear. We don't hear his voice. We don't see his work in the world. And, and, and there's an issue that comes up. We're not healed. Why, why aren't people spiritually healed and whole? Well, because they don't understand with their hearts. What does that mean? Well, Jesus defines it by his actions, as we'll see. But understanding with their hearts, but but why don't we understand with our hearts? Because we don't see and we don't hear. Do you guys agree? This is what this is saying? Now, this is a spiritual reality. In our church, we're always trying to address, man, how do we help people see from a new perspective what God wants them to see, to see from God's perspective? How do we help people to begin to tune in past all the static, past all the noise, to hear what God is saying so that they'll understand with the center of their being, with their heart, who God is and how much he loves them and and begin to find healing and wholeness in their life. And this side of heaven, maybe that journey to wholeness and health is it, it might feel like a big dip at first. You know, we're living on a very, very broken planet. But, but God is preparing us for healing and wholeness, whether it's this side of heaven or the next. Now, where I want to go is if this is true spiritually, do we think this is true relationally? If it's true that we don't find healing and wholeness between us and God because we don't understand with our hearts, we don't understand him and we're not connecting heart to heart because we're not listening and we're not seeing him, is it also true that there are relationships that are broken and not finding healing? Is it true that there are people that are not connected and marriages that aren't connected and community fractures and and division in the world that we live in? Is it, do we see that because there's people who don't understand each other on a heart-to-heart level because they're not listening and seeing one another. Do you agree that that could be the case? I think the spiritual reality Jesus is talking about matches a physical, relational reality. And and I I see Jesus embodying this, embodying this reality. And here's three things. You can put this on your notes. We'll come back to these. I want to give you these three, three keys to a life of understanding. A life of, of really knowing how to connect with 
with others and with God. And here's the three things. See and hear. See and hear. This is all found in verse 15 of what we just read. See and hear. And then we have to understand with our hearts. We have to learn to understand with our hearts. What does that mean? We'll we'll go into that in a minute. And then turn toward rather than away. And like that's like a spiral that lifts us up. It connects us rather than divides us. But we live in a world where the pattern is uh, I don't see and I don't hear. Because we, people have decided in, in our day and age and in our world that, that like I want to be offended. And so when we don't want to see and we don't want to hear someone else's perspective, we're, we're deciding beforehand, basically, I don't like what you, what you think. So I don't want to see it. I don't want to hear it. I don't want to see from your perspective at all. And then the next step, so then rather than they don't hear and they don't see from the other perspective, and so they don't understand what that looks like is that we rush to judgment. So we move from, I'm, a, I'm offended, I don't like what you think, and then we rush to ju- judgment and we, we, we complete this sentence. So you are a label, whatever the label is. So you are a dirty meat eater. Because I don't understand how someone could eat something that was once alive and then now it's, you know, and, and there's vegans here and they're highly offended right now. Father's Day is not about killing animals and eating them. How could this be? There might be, I don't, you know, I don't know. And you've just labeled me and, and, and then maybe there's someone who's like a vegan. That just insults every fiber of my being. Like, wait, that, that, you, you might be one of those people that doesn't like caffeine too. Like, what is wrong with you? You know, there might be, like, and we label people, you're one of those vegans. Or, like, you're one of those dirty conservatives. Or you're one of those, you know, lightweight liberals. Or even worse, you, are, you might be one of those in-between libertarians. Can't go to church with one of those. You know, like, whatever you, but we put the label on somebody. And this person's a racist, this person's a socialist, this person's a this. Do you guys see this in our culture? It starts with, I don't like what you think, and I don't want to see what you see. I don't want to hear what you're saying. And then it it goes to this place where we judge and we label, and then it goes to we turn away rather than turning toward. And when we turn away and we've said, I don't like what you think, um, and then we say you are a, and we label them, and which is a, de- a tactic of dehumanization. Um, it, it dehumanizes someone. It separates them from their humanity. When we put this label on them and see them primarily by their label, that moves us to a place of turning away, which is contempt. And contempt kills the conversation. How many of you guys have heard me say that before? I say it because it's true. Contempt kills the conversation, and it changes from I don't like what you think, and then you are a to finally, I don't like who you are. And in marriages, when it gets from like, I don't like the way you think, to you're such a jerk, or you're such a slob, or you're such a whatever, and then it gets to, I don't like who you are, that's when social scientists, counselors, psychologists can tell a marriage isn't gonna make it because it's about your identity. I don't like who you are. And as a culture, this is like the death spiral. And when you're turning away from each other and you're judging each other and you're not understanding, you're not listening, what happens to people? There's a great gap, a great separation. And Jesus teaches us a totally different model of turning toward and learning how to understand and learning how to be together. But when we are in the death cycle, there's like uh, 
bias confirmation. You guys know what bias confirmation is? Like your bias that you have is confirmed because you start looking for your bias. So let's say my, my wife would never do this to me, but let's say she walks in and she's like, he has some like slobbish, you know, habits. She walks in and, and let's say she's like, you're a big slob, George. And she, if I'm a slob, what do you look for if your husband's a slob? Do you look for all the good things that he's done, all the things that he's organized? No, she would never do this to me. I'm telling you, she'd never do this. I'm just using it as an example. Um, what, is, what, do you, what do you look for if you have a slob husband? You look for the slobbing. Where are you slobbing the house up? The cupboard's open. Why, I've t- the cupboard's opening. Uh, the, the cups. Why do you need four or five cups? You're one per, in an hour, you really need four or five cups. Are you kidding me? Why is there stuff in the middle? My wife would never, I'm telling you, she would never do this. But you can have this like, my wife's very kind. She's sometimes a little cutting, but very kind. I'm picking on her a little bit, but we can, bias confirmation, you just start seeing what you're looking for. You start seeing only the negative and it confirms the bias. You distort reality. You start assuming the worst of their motives. Like you put this cup here deliberately to ruin my day, right? Because you're a slob. That's who you are. And we start catastrophizing the greater and greater the divide gets. Jesus lived in a day and age where there were a group of people that were known as the Pharisees. The Pharisees meant, the name, the name literally meant to separate. South Africa, there was a name for that called apartheid, to separate, same thing, to separate. And they would separate themselves from the people who are unworthy. And it was this death cycle, this like downward spiral that they were in. And Jesus stepped into the middle of that with a messy, broken, sinful world. Watch how Jesus does the opposite of the downward spiral. And he sees and hears. He understands the heart and he turns toward. Check this out. John 8, verse 3. Then the scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman caught in adultery, making her stand in the center, like to embarrass her, to make a spectacle of her. Teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of committing adultery. There's no escaping it. We caught her in the act. She is a disgrace. In the law of Moses, it commands us to stone such a woman, to kill her. So what do you say? And they asked this to trap him in order that they might have evidence to accuse him because they're threatened by Jesus because he's not separating people. He's gathering them. The only ones who are separating are choosing to separate themselves. He's taking all, even the Pharisees, he's saying, come, come on, let's talk. Let's come together. He's uniting people and the only people separating are the ones who are choosing that themselves. So they want him out of the way And so with Jesus, they're trying to trap him because they know that he's been with these sinners. He's hanging out with the tax collectors and the prostitutes and people like this woman who've done all kinds of wrong things and he's not even judging them. He's not condemning them. He's not, he's leading so, it's offensive to him. Do you guys see? And so they want to trap him. So they they bring this problem to him and what does Jesus do? They're like, demand an answer. Give me an answer. You've ever had someone say, here's the problem. What's your answer? What do you feel like when someone puts you on the spot like that? Like right now, what would you say? No, I'm just kidding. I'd be putting on a spot. <laughs> but you're just like, oh, we got, it's like, oh, what do I do? Right? And, and, and it's amazing. Look how Jesus responds to like the, the downward spiral of like, uh, we don't listen. We, don't, we didn't check. We, not, we haven't heard this woman out. We just throw her out in the middle of, of, of everyone. We don't understand her heart. And we want everyone to turn away from her by killing her. How does Jesus respond to that pattern? 
Jesus stooped down and started writing on the ground with his finger. Some theologians think that he was just drawing pictures. Smiley face. Uh, it, it says here that he, with his finger in the ground, um, for me, I, my imagination and what I know from the Old Testament is, it says that the, the Ten Commandments were written by the finger of God in the earth, in rock. And so when Jesus puts his, fi- it says his finger in the ground, in the dirt, and started drawing, it elicits imagery of him rewriting out the Ten Commandments. Now, I don't know that. And I guess on a sermon today about like disagreement and agreement and understanding, you can disagree with me. That's okay. But I think he, that's what he was probably doing. I think he was writing the Ten Commandments. I think he was like saying, he was flipping the mirror onto the Pharisees. Check this out. Then when, when they persisted in questioning him, give us an answer. What do you think? He stood up and he said to them, the one without sin among you should be the first to throw a stone at her. Just elegantly puts that statement out as a question almost like is there, if there's anybody without sin you, 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 you throw the first stone then he, he stooped back down again and continued writing on the ground just all cool and collected how many of you guys are that cool and collected when you're put on the spot that's amazing right it just takes his time when they heard this they left one by one starting with the oldest men so they just started leaving and Jesus just takes the mirror. And he doesn't, notice he doesn't treat them in kind. He doesn't like get in their faces and he doesn't condemn them and turn away from them. He engages them. He listens to them. And then his response is from the heart. And he's holding a mirror saying, look at what you've become. Look what you're doing to this woman. You don't care about her. If you guys really care, okay, like here's the mirror. Whatever he was drawn, maybe his pictures, maybe it's that. But there was a realization they're like, oh, I'm broken too, and I'm wanting to kill someone else who's broken because I want to prove a point. I want to trap someone. I want power. Like, what a joke. And Jesus is also revealing, like, if you guys are so concerned about breaking the law, where's the dude? Because last I checked, when someone's having infidelity, it takes two people to tango. You know, maybe it was a Pharisee buddy of theirs, you know? Who knows? Like, you're like, oh, this isn't my wife? It's like, that's not how it works. <laughs> that's not how it works. Jesus isn't fooled. He holds up the mirror, and then he frees this woman. Now watch this. Now only he was left with the woman in the center. And when Jesus stood up, he said to her, Woman, where are they at? Where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, Lord, she answered. Then neither do I condemn you. He doesn't doesn't just leave it there. Like many of us who like, we've got that grace, forgive. How many of you guys are like, yes, in this story, you're like, yes, Jesus. Like way to show those jerks. You're like, yes. But he doesn't just stop it. Hey, you're not condemned. In our culture, that would be the, hey, like everything is true. Nothing is bad. Nothing's evil. Jesus says, I don't condemn you. But then he says, go. And from now on, sin no more. So he still gives truth in love. Isn't that incredible? He still gives truth in love. And Jesus, this is teaching us we can accept somebody without agreeing with them. I live in culture like, I've got to have someone agree with me. And people will argue and argue and argue about ideas that they don't really know or sometimes don't even care that much. They just want to be right. 
And they got to agree with me. They got to see my first. They got to agree. It's like, chill. Not everybody's going to agree with you. Heck, my wife doesn't agree with everything I think or do all the time. That was the requisite for relationship. None of us would even be here about to enjoy some delicious meat. Um, that's powerful, isn't it? And Jesus, he listens to her. He says, are, there any, are they still here? Did anybody condemn you? He's the first person to talk to her. Look her in the eyes. Connect with her. And then he turns toward her. She's in the middle. He turns toward her, not away from her. Everyone else has abandoned her. Turns toward her. Understands her. Listens to her. Do you see the pattern? So I want to get really practical. Why does this matter? How does this change our relationships? What does this mean for our relationships? What does this mean for our church? First thing we have to do is we have to learn to see and hear. You guys know that giving somebody your full attention is so rare these days? Like we'll give our full attention to a screen. I was on a plane, you know, we were traveling to Africa and back and, you know, everyone's looking at their screen and I understand that it's hours and hours, but like part of me wonders if we've trained our eyes to look at screens so much that we, we, we forget like the power and like human contact, like eye to eye, eyeball to eyeball, like connecting, like I see you. There's, there's just something that can't, you can't like supplement that, you know? And if, if you ever have someone who, uh, I've had friends who have like, um, they, they were raised in abusive background or they have like physical limitations and so they, whatever it may be, they don't look at people in the eyes. And people, when they meet them, they're like, is something off there? Is there something shady about that person? And most of the time it's not, but there's something odd when you can't make eye contact. Do you agree? <clears throat> so I want to encourage us as a church, as you and your families and your marriages and your friendships, learn to, to look at people and see them. Learn to listen. Seek to understand. Before you reprimand, seek to understand. Instead of going to your kid like this, seek to understand first. Instead of uh, demanding, seek understanding. Like, I'm gonna, I want this, you're going to do this, and here's how it's going to go, and you're, you're giving all the demands. What if we sought understanding first? Before making a stand, seek to understand. Like, I'm going to draw the line, this, is, uh, this and no further. And believe me, like, there's times where you have to do that. But I, sometimes like, I feel like people will do that so quickly without ever even asking the question, like, hey, what do you think about this? So they make this stand about something the other person's like, yeah, I totally agree with you. Or like, that's weird. I mean, that's cool. I'm glad that you like that kind of meat. That's great. But only this meat, you know? <clears throat> we can get so um, focused on stuff that, that doesn't matter or isn't a big deal. When we see and when we hear, when we seek to understand, uh, we're open to being challenged. We're open to being wrong. We're seeking truth together. Christians, we don't... We don't need to be afraid of talking with atheists or social Darwinists or evolutionary. You know, you don't have to be afraid. And, and Christians come from different perspectives there. That's okay. How many of you guys think it's okay for Christians to have some different views on how the world was created? Some people are like, no, that's the gospel. It's that Jesus died for the sins of the world primarily around their wrong view of how the world was created. Like, we'll figure that out someday, won't we? God will, God will reveal that. 
We can get so strong and it's like, are, you, are we open? Are we seeking truth together? What if, we, what if we just took the approach, hey, I'm willing to be wrong. Like, let's seek the truth together. The facts are our friends. We don't have to be afraid of them. Let's not be afraid. Let's seek to understand. Um, how many of you guys, your views have changed over the years? Man, I thought that, that, that car was the most amazing car in the world. And then like two months later, you're like, I hate this car. It's the worst. You know, it never starts or, you know, whatever it might be. Or like, you know what? Back in the 90s, like, man, this company, this corporation's incredible. Enron, they've just got like really great character. It's going to be, it's a winner. You know, our opinions change sometimes with the wind, right? And we get so strong. You know, it's really interesting. I was talking with Pastor Mike and we were talking about how um, even social media and our, our phones and our technology, there are algorithms that spit out the opinions and the perspectives that we have. So if it knows that you have a certain political persuasion, it'll keep up pulling up that political persuasion so you'll get more and more of that and less and less and less of the opinion you don't like. And so what happens is people get more entrenched in their perspective without understanding the other person's perspective and they try to make the other person's perspective look really, really, really dumb rather than representing it properly and, and the best version of it, even if you still disagree, and, and so the, the, the gap grows wider and wider and wider. And all the while, we're, we're feeling more and more affirmed in our rightness and our truth and how much smarter and better. And, and all of a sudden, we start spiraling down. Do you guys see it? We're turning away from one another. And we're not following the way of Jesus. And it's because we're letting whatever it is, our phones or our opinions or our group or our tribe, uh, drive us away from the people that God loves. For God so loved the whole world, not just your tribe or my tribe or your political persuasion or your, you know, like your theological persuasion on certain things or whatever our opinions are on. Um, you know, I think it's okay in Whitewater for us to have vegans and meditarians together. <laughs> Do you think that we can have that together? Do you think that we can exist together around Christ? doesn't sound like we're so sure. We think we're good listeners, but I would challenge you, ask your best friends or your closest friend how you are at listening. And ask them how you can improve. That might be an even better question because they'll be like, no, you're totally a good listener. <clears throat> um, I'll, I'll share this real quick before sharing kind of the last, last piece. Um, uh, when church planters go to plant, I, I'm a part of these things called assessments, and we see if someone's called to be a church planter. And usually, the if it's a guy, he's really excited, and he's got a plan, he's got a vision, he's got all this stuff. And I mean, I was at that point and was really excited and all that stuff. But we'll sit down, and there'll be moments where like the guy's so excited, and he's been doing all the talking, and his wife hasn't like said a word. And it's like getting toward the end of like the process, and and sometimes you'll notice a gal not, like not even looking up, like looking to the side. Body language is not saying excitement about this. And the wise or older assessors, like the, the ones who are there to give wise counsel, they'll well, what do you think, they'll ask the wife. And then the guy will go like, oh, what she's excited about is. Is that a good move, wives? Bad move, bad move. And what, you know, and what she means is, 
and, and not listening. And there's been like train wrecks that have been, sa- marriages that have been on the rocks. And there's this vision and this is what we're going to do. And, this, blah, blah, blah. And, and it's just like escaping the reality that they have like no trust or there's a terrible relationship. Or like the, the husband and sometimes the wife. It can be, we've had it the opposite way too. Where the wife is, is running past the husband's feelings or the husband is running past the wife's feelings isn't addressing it. We, my, my daughter has this book called Oh No, George. It's about, not about me. It's about a dog. And the dog's job is to do things right and it always gets it wrong. Like, George, don't dig in, in the garden. And it digs in the garden and it goes, Oh No, George. Or like, don't eat the cake that's out. And then there's a page and my, my daughter will yell with me. We'll be like, Oh No, George. You know, what will George do? And um, let's say I walk into the house and my wife is distraught and she's like, man, it's been the worst day ever. I'm really upset. This and this and this happened. I'm so frustrated. <clears throat> I just looked at her and I would say, well, you know what you should do to solve that? Immediately. Good move? Oh, no, George. <laughs> or what if I, what if I was like... Um, you know, I've had a problem that's been just as bad, and it, it hurt a lot too. And so um, I've been through a lot of pain as well, and that helps me understand you. And I just like compare my thing to hers immediately. Is that a wise thing? Oh no, George. Or what if I minimize? I'm like, oh, that's you know, there's a lot of worse things in the world than what, than that. You know, I, I hear what you're saying, but like, have you heard of this? Oh no, George. Right. So minimizing, comparing, it's like, it's stupid, stupid, or, you know, giving advice, here's what you should do, Um, or how about this, like, honey, I just, I hear what you're saying, but I just disagree with how you feel about this. (laughs) Oh, I just saw a few shakes of the head, like, that's an oh no, George moment, oh no, George. I wish there were some of you there to say that to me at times, because I'm not perfect at this. We have to learn to listen to ask more questions. God, I've heard it said we have two ears, one mouth. God did that for a reason. Let's, let's bring the ratio of speaking down and bring the ratio of listening up. Now, understanding the heart, understanding the heart, that's learning to like, see from someone else's perspective. It's learning to see with their eyes, their perspective. Like, what do they see? What do they see? Like, how do they understand this? It doesn't mean you agree, but you can represent their view. What if you were able to represent your opposing view as well or better than they could, rather than just making fun of it? Now, in order for us to have a heart that understands, we have to learn empathy and compassion. Why don't you watch this video for a second? So what is empathy, and why is it very different than sympathy? Empathy fuels connection. Sympathy drives disconnection. Empathy, it's very interesting. Teresa Wiseman is a nursing scholar who studied professions, very diverse professions where empathy is relevant and came up with four qualities of empathy. Perspective taking, the ability to take the perspective of another person or, or recognize their perspective as their truth. Staying out of judgment, not easy when you enjoy it as much as most of us do. Recognizing emotion in other people and then communicating that. Empathy is feeling with people. And to me, I always think of empathy as this kind of sacred space 
when someone's kind of in a deep hole and they shout out from the bottom and they say, I'm stuck, it's dark, I'm overwhelmed. And then we look and we say, hey, climb down. I know what it's like down here and you're not alone. Sympathy is, ooh, (laughs) it's bad, uh uh-huh. No, you want a sandwich? Empathy is a choice and it's a vulnerable choice because in order to connect with you, I have to connect with something in myself that knows that feeling. Rarely, if ever, does an empathic response begin with at least. (laughs) I had a, yeah. And we do it all the time because you know what? Someone just shared something with us that's incredibly painful and we're trying to silver lining it. I don't think that's a verb, but I'm using it as one. We're trying to put the silver lining around it. So I had a miscarriage. At least you know you can get pregnant. I think my marriage is falling apart. At least you have a marriage. (laughs) John's getting kicked out of school. At least Sarah is an A student. But one of the things we do sometimes in the face of very difficult conversations is we try to make things better. If I share something with you that's very difficult, I'd rather you say, I don't even know what to say right now. I'm just so glad you told me. Because the truth is, rarely can a response make something better. What makes something better is connection. Hmm. You know, are are we trying to tilt the room toward our view, our perspective all the time? Are we trying to connect the room? People are dying for connection, not just to be told the right proposition, not to just be proven wrong or to like be won over by an argument. People want to be loved. They want to be understood. And you can't, you can't have trust and love at the center of a relationship if you don't understand one another. And so understanding from the heart, my grandpa, he says it like this. It's like that trans- transition where you go from seeing and hearing to understanding with your heart to fully turning to somebody my grandpa says it like this he's a he's a wide wise old spiritual guy but he said uh one of the hardest things especially for young men is learning to um accept the person as they are not as you wish they were because if we can't learn to accept others as they are not who we wish they were or who they could be or they should be. It's like, how can, you, how can you accept God's acceptance of who you are? And he says, it doesn't mean you settle for that. It doesn't mean that you, we don't help people grow and there's not maturity. He's like, but, but you won't, people will not feel understood if you can't accept them right where they are at. Look them in the eyes. Hear their story. Slow down. Ask questions love them, connect with them, and just be with them and have compassion and empathy and turn together. That's what brings us together. Even if we disagree on a hundred things or all kinds of stuff with our life, we can still love each other. You can accept somebody without agreeing with them. And you can be like Jesus who says, I don't condemn you, but go and sin no more. And I know that God's looked at my life where I've messed up and I've acted like the Pharisee or I've made mistakes and, and, yet, and yet God treated me the same way. He said, I, I don't condemn you. Go and sin no more. 
And, and friends, I think as a church, if we learn that, that's a church that changes their community. That's a church that has marriages that are transforming. Um, mothers and fathers and kids, sons and daughters are turning toward each other in a world that is divided. So here's the challenge. There's a simple one. Give up having the last word this week. Don't have the last word. Give the last word to somebody else. Have the last listen, not the last word. Try that. It's really hard. (laughs) Um, Here's the other. Um, Listen to people's stories. If you can't listen to somebody else's story, it means you're too busy writing your own. Listen to others. Like, ask intentionally, uh, intentionally ask people about their life. And then just lastly, practice, practice, practice listening. Just listen. And pay attention to how well you're listening. Are you looking them in the eyes? Are you distracted? Are you listening or are you listening to something else? Hone in. And, and God will use God will use it when we learn to listen because he's the God who sees and loves us. We need to rep- represent him here on earth so people know, wow, God loves me. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We're so grateful for you. Would you just continue guiding our church? Help us to know and love, to see and listen, to understand with our hearts and to turn toward you and turn toward others. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.